Chapter 5 of Tarzan and the Ant-Men. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Matthew Reese, Cordova, Illinois. Tarzan and the Ant-Men by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Chapter 5 With dog-like devotion, the Alalis youth clung to Tarzan. The latter had mastered the meager sign language of his protégé, giving them a means of communication that was adequate for all their needs. The former, gaining confidence with a growing familiarity with his new weapons, became more independent, with the result that the two more often separated for the hunt, thus ensuring a more fully stocked larder. It was upon one of these occasions that Tarzan came suddenly upon a strange sight. He had been following the scent spore of Bara the deer when it was suddenly crossed by that of one of the great female Alali. That probably meant that another would attempt to rob him of his prey. The savage instinct of the jungle beast predominated in the guidance of the breech-clouded ape-man. It was not the polished Lord Greystoke of London whose snarling upper lip revealed two gleaming fighting fangs. It was a primordial hunting brute, about to be robbed of its quarry. Taking to the trees, he moved rapidly in the direction of the Alalis woman. But before he came within sight of her, a new scent impinged upon his nostrils. A strange new scent that puzzled him. It was the scent of man, yet strange and unfamiliar to a degree. Never before had anything like it arrested his attention. It was very faint, and yet, somehow, he knew that it was close, and then, ahead of him, he heard voices, low musical voices, that came faintly to his ears. And though they were low and musical, there was something in the quality and pitch of them that suggested excitement. Now Tarzan went more carefully, Bara the deer, all but forgotten. As he drew nearer, he realized that there were many voices, and much commotion, and then he came upon a large plain that stretched away to distant hills, and in the foreground, not a hundred yards from him, he looked upon a sight that might well have caused him to doubt the veracity of his own eyes. The only familiar figure was a giant Alalis woman. Surrounding her was a horde of diminutive men, tiny white warriors, mounted upon what appeared to be a form of the royal antelope of the west coast. Armed with lances and swords, they repeatedly charged at the huge legs of the Alalis, who, backing slowly toward the forest, kicked viciously at her assailants and struck at them with her heavy bludgeon. It quickly became evident to Tarzan that they were attempting to hamstring her, and had they been successful they might easily have slain her then. But though there must have been fully a hundred of them, their chances of success appeared small, since with a single kick of her mighty foot the woman could lay low a dozen or more of her assailants at a time. Already fully half the force was hors de combat, their bodies, with those of many of their mounts, being scattered out onto the plain, marking the trail of the combat up to the time that Tarzan had come upon the scene. The courage of the survivors, however, filled Tarzan with admiration as he watched them hurl themselves upon almost certain death in their stubborn efforts to bring down the female. And then it was that the ape-man saw the reason, or the apparent reason, for the mad sacrifice of life. 
In her left hand the Alalis clutched one of the tiny warriors. It was to rescue him, evidently, that the others were maintaining this forlorn hope. If the warriors filled Tarzan with admiration, to scarcely a lesser extent did their courageous and agile mounts. Always had he thought of the royal antelope, the smallest known member of its family, as the most timid of creatures, but not so these cousins of theirs. Slightly larger, standing perhaps fifteen inches at the withers, they were in all other outward respects identical, yet, at the guidance of their riders, they leaped fearlessly into close range of those enormous feet and the great slashing bludgeon. Perfectly reined were they, too, so perfectly that their muscles seemed to have coordinated with the minds of their riders. In and out they bounded, scarcely touching the ground before they were out of harm's way again. Ten or a dozen feet they covered at a leap, so that Tarzan wondered not only at their agility, but at the almost marvelous riding ability of the warriors who could keep their seats so perfectly upon these leaping, bounding, turning, twisting mounts. It was a pretty sight, and an inspiring one, and however unreal it had first appeared to him, he was not long in realizing that he was looking upon a race of real pygmies, not members of the black tribe with which all African explorers are more or less familiar, but with that lost white race of diminutive men, reference to which is occasionally to be found in ancient manuscript of travel and exploration, of myth and legend. While the encounter interested him, and he viewed it at first as a disinterested neutral, he soon found his sympathies gravitating to the tiny warriors, and when it became evident that the Alalis woman was going to make good her escape into the forest with her captive, the ape-man decided to take a hand in the affair himself. As he stepped from the concealment of the forest, the little warriors were the first to see him. Evidently they mistook him at first for another of their giant enemies, for a great cry of disappointment rose from them, and they fell back for the first time since Tarzan had been watching the unequal struggle. Wishing to make his intentions clear, before the little men set upon him, he moved quickly in the direction of the woman, who, the instant that her eyes fell upon him, made imperative signs for him to join her in dispatching the balance of the pygmies. She was accustomed to being feared and obeyed by her mankind, when she had them in her power. Perhaps she wondered a little at the temerity of this he, for, as a rule, they all ran from her. But she needed him badly, and that was the idea that dominated her thoughts. As Tarzan advanced, he commanded her in the sign language that he had learned from the youth, that she was to release her captive and go away, molesting the little men no more. At this she made an ugly grimace, and raising her bludgeon came forward to meet him. The ape-man fitted an arrow to his bow. "'Go back,' he signed her. "'Go back, or I will kill you. Go back and put down the little man.' She snarled ferociously, and increased her pace. Tarzan raised the arrow to the level of his eye, and drew it back until the bow bent. The pygmies, realizing for the moment at least this strange giant was their ally, sat their mounts and awaited the outcome of the duel. The ape-man hoped that the woman would obey his commands before he was compelled to take her life, but even a cursory glance at her face revealed anything but an intention to relinquish her purpose which now seemed to be to annihilate this presumptuous meddler as well. On she came. Already she was too close to make further delay safe, and the ape-man released his shaft. Straight into her savage heart it drove. And as she stumbled forward, Tarzan leaped to meet her, 
seizing the warrior from her grasp before she might fall upon the tiny body and crush it and as he did so the other warriors evidently mistaking his intentions spurred forward with loud shouts and brandishing weapons but before they had reached him he had set the rescued man upon the ground and released him instantly the attitude of the charging pygmies changed again and from war cries their tones turned to cheers riding forward they drew rein before the warrior that tarzan had rescued and several of their number leaped from their mounts and kneeling raised his hand to their lips it was evident then to the ape-man that he had rescued one who stood high among them their chief perhaps and now he wondered what would be their attitude toward him as with a look of amused tolerance upon his grim features he watched them as one might watch the interesting doings of a swarm of ants as they felicitated their fellow upon his miraculous escape tarzan had an opportunity to inspect them more closely the tallest of them stood about eighteen inches in height their white skins were tanned by exposure to a shade a trifle darker than his own yet there was no question but that they were white men their features were regular and well proportioned so that by any standards of our race they would have been considered handsome there were of course variations and exceptions but on the whole those that he saw before him were fine-looking men all were smooth-faced and there seemed to be no very old men among them while he whom tarzan had saved from the alalis woman was apparently younger than the average and much younger than those who had dismounted to do him homage as tarzan watched them the young man bade the others rise and then addressed them for a moment after which he turned toward the ape-man and directed his remarks to him none of which of course tarzan could understand by his manner however he guessed that the other was thanking him and possibly too asking his further intentions toward them and in reply the ape-man endeavored to assure them that he desired their friendship further to emphasize his peaceful intentions he cast his weapons aside and took a step toward them his arms thrown slightly outward his open palms in their direction the young man seemed to understand his friendly overtures for he too advanced offering his hand to tarzan the ape-man knew that the other meant that he should kiss it but this he did not do preferring to assume a role of equality with their highest instead he kneeled upon one knee that he might more easily reach the proffered hand of the pygmy and pressing the tiny fingers gently inclined his head slightly in a formal bow which carried no suggestion of servility the other seemed satisfied returned the bow with equal dignity and then attempted to convey to the ape-man that he and his party were about to ride off across the plain inviting him to accompany them rather curious to see more of these remarkable little people tarzan was nothing loath to accept the invitation before the party set out however they dispersed to gather up their dead and wounded and to put out of their misery any of the injured antelope that were too severely hurt to travel this they did with the relatively long straight sword which was part of the armament of each their lances they left resting in cylindrical boots attached to the right side of their saddles for other weapons tarzan could discover nothing but a tiny knife carried in a scabbard at the right side by each warrior the blade like the blade of the rapier was two-edged but only about an inch and a half long with a very sharp point having gathered the dead and wounded the latter were examined by the young leader of the party who was accompanied by the five or six who had gathered about him at the time that tarzan had released him these tarzan took to be the lieutenants or under chiefs he saw them question the wounded and in three cases each evidently a hopeless one 
the leader ran his sword quickly through the hearts of the unhappy men. While this seemingly cruel yet unquestionably sound military measure was being carried out, the balance of the warriors, directed by under-officers, were excavating a long trench beside the dead, of which there were twenty, their tool being a stout shovel-blade, carried attached to the saddle, and which could be quickly fitted to the butt of the spear or lance. The men worked with extreme rapidity and under a plan that seemed to abhor lost motion, of which there was the absolute minimum, until, in an incredibly short time, they had excavated a trench fifty inches in length, eighteen inches wide, and nine inches deep, the equivalent of which, to men of normal size, would have been nearly seventeen feet long, six feet wide, and three feet deep. Into this they packed the dead like sardines, and in two layers. Then they shoveled back sufficient earth to fill the interstices between the bodies, and to come to a level with the top of the upper layer, after which loose stones were rolled in until the bodies were entirely covered by two inches of stones. The remaining earth from the excavation was then piled over all. By the time this work was completed, the loose antelope had been caught, and the wounded strapped to their backs. At a word from their commander, the party formed with military precision. A detail started ahead with the wounded, and a moment later the balance of the troop was mounted and on their way. The method of mounting and taking up the march was unique, and a source of considerable interest to Tarzan. The dismounted warriors were standing in line, facing the young leader, who was mounted, as were the several officers who accompanied him. Each warrior held his mount by the bridle. The commander made a rapid signal with the raised point of his sword. There was no spoken word of command, immediately after which he dropped the point quickly at his side, simultaneously wheeling his mount, which leaped quickly off in the direction that the troop was facing, the mounts of his officers wheeling with him, as though actuated by a single brain, and at the same instant the mount of each alternate warrior in the line leaped forward, and as it leaped its rider swung to his saddle, vaulting to his seat as lightly as a feather. The instant the first line had cleared them, the antelopes of the second line leaped in pursuit, their riders mounted as had the others before them, and with a second and longer leap the intervals were closed and the whole troop raced forward in a compact line. It was a most clever and practical evolution, and one that made it possible to put mounted troops in motion as rapidly as foot troops. There was no long delay caused by taking distance, mounting, and closing ranks. As the troop galloped away, ten warriors wheeled from the left flank and, following one of the officers who had detached himself from the party of the commander of the troop, returned to Tarzan. By signs, the officer conveyed to the ape-man the intelligence that he was to follow this party, which would guide him to their destination. Already the main body was far away across the open plain, their lithe mounts clearing as many as five or six feet in a single bound. Even the swift Tarzan could not have kept pace with them. As the ape-man started away under the guidance of the detachment, his thoughts reverted for an instant to the allowless youth who was hunting alone in the forest behind them but he soon put the creature from his mind with the realization that it was better equipped to defend itself than any of its kind, and that, when he had made his visit to the country of the pygmies, he could doubtless return and find the Alalus if he so desired. Tarzan, inured to the hardship and to long and rapid marches, fell into a dog-trot such as he could keep up for hours at a time without rest, while his guides, trotting their graceful mounts, kept just ahead of him. The plain was more rolling than it had appeared from the verge of the forest, with here and there a clump of trees. The grass was plentiful, and there were occasional bands of the larger species of antelope, grazing at intervals. 
at sight of the approaching riders and the comparatively giant-like figure of Tarzan, they broke and ran. Once they passed a rhinoceros, the party making only a slight detour to avoid it, and later, in a clump of trees, the leader halted his detachment suddenly, and seizing his lance advanced again slowly toward a clump of bushes, at the same time transmitting an order to his men, which caused them to spread and surround the thicket. Tarzan halted and watched the proceedings. The wind was blowing from him in the direction of the thicket, so that he could not determine what manner of creature, if any, had attracted the attention of the officer. But, presently, when the warriors had completely surrounded the bushes and those upon the other side had ridden into it, their spears couched and ready, he heard an ugly snarl issuing from the center of the thicket, and an instant later an African wildcat sprang into view, leaping directly at the officer, waiting with ready spear to receive it. The weight and momentum of the beast all but unseated the rider, the point of whose spear had met the cat full in the chest. There were a few spasmodic struggles before death ensued, during which, had the spear broken, the man would have been badly mauled and perhaps killed, for the cat was relatively as formidable a beast as the lion is to us. The instant that it died, four warriors leaped forward, and with their sharp knives removed the head and skin in an incredibly short time. Tarzan could not but note that everything these people did was accomplished with maximum efficiency. Never did there seem to be any lost motion. Never was one at a loss as what to do. Never did one worker get in the way of another. Scarcely ten minutes had elapsed from the moment that they had encountered the cat, before the detachment was again moving, the head of the beast fastened to the saddle of one of the warriors, the skin to that of another. The officer who commanded the detachment was a young fellow, not much, if any, older than the commander of the troop. That he was courageous Tarzan could bear witness from the manner in which he had faced what must have been, to so diminutive a people, a most deadly and ferocious beast. But, then, the entire party's hopeless attack upon the allowless woman had proved that they all were courageous, and the ape-man admired and respected courage. Already he liked these little men, though it was at times still difficult for him to accept them as a reality, so prone are we to disbelieve in the possibility of the existence of any form of life with which we are not familiar by association or credible repute. They had been traveling for almost six hours across the plain. The wind had changed, and there was borne to Tarzan's nostrils clearly the scent of Bara the deer ahead. The ape-man, who had tasted no food that day, was ravenous, with the result that the odor of meat aroused all the savage instincts fostered by his strange upbringing. Springing forward, abreast the leader of the detachment that was escorting him, he signed them to halt, and then as clearly as he could, through the comparatively laborious and never quite satisfactory medium of further signs, explained that he was hungry, that there was meat ahead, and that they should remain in the rear until he had stalked his prey and made his kill. The officer, having understood and signified his assent, Tarzan crept stealthily forward toward a small clump of trees beyond which his keen scent told him there were several antelope, and behind Tarzan followed the detachment so noiselessly that even the keen ears of the ape-man heard them not. Sheltered by the trees, Tarzan saw a dozen or more antelope grazing a short distance beyond, the nearest being scarce a hundred feet from the small grove. Unslinging his bow and taking a handful of arrows from his quiver, the ape-man moved noiselessly to the tree nearest the antelope. The detachment was not far behind him, though it had stopped the moment the officer saw the game that Tarzan was stalking, lest it be frightened away. 
The pygmies knew naught of bows and arrows, and so they watched with deep interest every move of the ape-man. They saw him fit an arrow to his bow, draw it far back, and release it almost all in a single movement, so quick with this weapon was he. And they saw the antelope leap to the impact of the missile, which was followed in rapid succession by a second and a third, and as he shot his bolts Tarzan leaped forward in pursuit of his prey. But there was no danger that he would lose it. With the second arrow the buck was upon his knees, and when Tarzan reached him he was already dead. The warriors who had followed close behind Tarzan, the instant that there was no further need for caution, were already surrounding the antelope, where they were talking with much more excitement than Tarzan had seen them display upon any previous occasion, their interest seemingly centered about the death-dealing projectiles that had so easily laid the great animal low, for to them this antelope was as large as would be the largest elephant to us, and as they caught the ape-man's eye they smiled and rubbed their palms together very rapidly with a circular motion, an act which Tarzan assumed to be in the nature of applause. Having withdrawn his arrows and returned them to his quiver, Tarzan signed to the leader of the detachment that he would borrow his rapier. For an instant the man seemed to hesitate, and all his fellows watched him intently, but he drew the sword and passed it hilt foremost to the ape-man. If you are going to eat flesh raw while it is still warm, you do not bleed the carcass, nor did Tarzan in this instance. Instead he merely cut off a hindquarter, sliced off what he wanted, and fell to devouring it hungrily. The little men viewed this act with surprise not unmixed with horror, and when he offered them some of the flesh they refused it and drew away. What their reaction he could not know, but he guessed that they held a strong aversion to the eating of raw meat. Later he was to learn that their revulsion was due to the fact that, within the entire range of their experience heretofore, the only creatures that devoured raw meat devoured the pygmies as well. When, therefore, they saw this mighty giant eating the flesh of his kill raw, they could not but draw the conclusion that should he become sufficiently hungry, he would eat them. Wrapping some of the meat of the antelope in its own skin, Tarzan secured it to his back, and the party resumed its journey. The warriors now seemed troubled, and as they conversed in low tones they cast many backward glances in the direction of the ape-man. They were not afraid for themselves, for these warriors scarcely knew the meaning of fear. The question that caused them apprehension related to the wisdom of leading among their people such a huge devourer of raw flesh, who, at a single hurried meal, had eaten the equivalent of a grown man. The afternoon was drawing to a close when Tarzan discerned in the far distance what appeared to be a group of symmetrical, dome-shaped hillocks, and later, as they approached these, he saw a body of mounted warriors galloping to meet them. From his greater height he saw these before the others saw them, and attracting the officer's attention, made signs apprising the latter of his discovery, but the oncoming warriors were hidden from the view of their fellows by the inequalities of the ground. Realizing this, Tarzan stooped, and, before the officer could guess his intention, had gathered the antelope and rider gently in his powerful hands, and lifted them high above the ground. For an instant consternation held the remaining warriors. Swords flashed, and a warning cry arose, and even the plucky pygmy in his grasp drew his own diminutive weapon. But a smile from the ape-man reassured them all, and an instant later the officer saw why Tarzan had raised him aloft. He called down to the others below him then, and from their manner, as from that of him whom he held, the ape-man guessed that the approaching party was composed of friends of his escort, and so, a few minutes later, it proved, 
when he was surrounded by several hundreds of the pygmies, all friendly, eager, and curious. Among them was the leader whom he had rescued from the Alalis woman, and him he greeted with a handshake. A consultation now took place between the leader of the detachment that had escorted the ape-man, the young commander of the larger party, and several older warriors. By the expressions of their faces and the tone of their voices, Tarzan judged that the matter was serious, and that it concerned him, he was sure, from the numerous glances that were cast in his direction. He could not know, though, that the subject of their discussion was based upon the report of the commander of the escort, that their mighty guest was an eater of raw flesh, and the consequent danger of bringing him among their people. The chief among them, the youth commander, settled the question, however, by reminding them that, though the giant must have been very hungry, to have devoured as much flesh as they told him he had, nevertheless he had travelled for many hours with only a small number of their warriors always within easy reach of him, and had not offered to molest them. This seemed a conclusive argument of his good intentions, and consequently the cavalcade set forth without further delay in the direction of the hillocks that were now in plain view a mile or two away. As they neared them, Tarzan saw what appeared to be literally innumerable little men moving about the hillocks, and as he came nearer still he realized that these seeming hillocks were symmetrical mounds of small stones, quite evidently built by the pygmies themselves, and that the hordes of pygmies moving about them were workers, for here was a long line all moving in one direction, emerging from a hole in the ground and following a well-defined path to a half-completed hillock that was evidently in course of construction. Another line moved, empty-handed, in the opposite direction, entering the ground through a second hole, and upon the flanks of each line, and at frequent intervals, marched armed warriors, while other similar lines of guarded workers moved in and out of openings in each of the other dome-like structures, carrying to the mind of the ape-man a suggestion of ants laboring about their hills. End of chapter 5 Recording by Matthew Reese, Cordova, Illinois